Welcome to the Hotel News Now Podcast Network. In this episode of the Next Gen and Lodging Podcast, host Amari Head talks with Dr. Aaron Tucker Oluwale, considered one of the 25 most influential global hospitality educators in the world. They share their insights, experiences, and visions for the future of diversity and inclusion in lodging. Subscribe to this podcast and more from H&N on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. Thanks for listening. Greetings. This is Omari Head, co-founder of Next Gen and Lodging. I'm proud to have this platform with Devon Reeves and Christopher Henry. And for this month's installment, uh, we have the honor and the pleasure to meet with a longtime friend, uh, even longer inspiration, and somebody who is very well known within the hospitality industry in multiple facets. Uh, so Dr. Aaron Tucker Aluale, I've had the pr- the pleasure to meet her some time ago uh, when she was at Boston University and have been watching her career from afar and up, up close, just learning a lot. Uh, one thing that, sh- that I thought would be a good contribution here for Next Gen and Lodging Platform is that we're always about fresh ideas through fresh lenses and from uh, from fresh talent as well. And I can't think of anybody that that would be more appropriate specifically as we look at where we are in history, specifically as we looked at where we are in the calendar. And with a history too strong to be called Negro History Week, it is Black History Month. So I am going to turn it over to Dr. Aaron to further introduce herself, and then I'll I'll start bugging her with some questions. Dr. Aaron. Thank you so much, Amari, and thank you for uh, this phenomenal platform of NextGen. Um, I guess to uh, pretty much sum up, I guess, where I am along my journey, because I consider it a journey, uh, destinations just mean that it's just, that means you're just starting something else, not that anything really ends. So, um, you know, as you mentioned, I guess originally I'm from Chicago, Illinois, just like uh, just like you. And uh, when I went to Florida A&M University, I wanted to definitely go to an HBCU for, for, for my undergrad. Um, I loved my time there. I was a business major. I decided I wanted to follow my passion at the end of my senior year, which was not to take a traditional corporate job. I wanted to follow my passion in the sport marketing, whatever that meant. Uh, but that ended up translating to uh, basically going back home, uh, working game days uh, at the Bears and interning for, for a sports agent. And, uh, and to the chagrin of my parents being an intern after a college degree. And so, um, <laughs> I, you know, that's not what you do, right? Uh, and so I decided that um, I was going to go and get my master's degree. And so I got my master's in sport management from Florida State. Um, and then uh, I did two internships. And that really uh, kind of expanded my perspective of really what kind of sports and hospitality is. I, I did one with the uh, RDV Sports, which is an NBA uh, franchise that most people know it as Orlando Magic. And then I also did one with the PGA Tour. And it was really the PGA Tour that really opened up my uh, my perspective of how of how just absolutely large the industry is. And so um, while all of that makes a difference is that um, in doing that, I ended up going and getting that first job, that real one that has like benefits and all that other stuff. 
for this really big sports company called General Motors, right? So remember I said, I didn't want to take that traditional corporate job. I wanted to go follow my dream. Well, yeah. one of the best things I could have done was uh, to go work for actually was an agency. It was called General Motors R-Works. And so I negotiated sponsorship agreements between Cadillac and Buick and the PGA Tour, um, amongst other sports um, assets that they had. And then um, ended up uh, doing that and moved after that. And I couldn't do the same thing. I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, but uh, within my network, I was recruited to uh, go to be a sales manager for for a company called Jillian's Entertainment, which you might not know Jillian's, but you might know Dave and Buster's. And so I kind of went from sort of the corporate side to the social side and did that, did, you know, events there and ended up working on, you know, my, my MBA part time. Well, actually through an executive MBA program, wasn't really part time. Um, and then I booked this group called Johnson & Wales University. They were opening up a campus and uh, just through conversation, they said, you make a great guest speaker, went in and guest spoke and said, this is what I want to do. So it was definitely for me, uh, I think academia was more of a calling for me more than it was something I was pursuing. And I started as an adjunct and decided to come over full. Uh, there's some kind of details that go into that, but I kind of it for the most part. And I uh, worked there for four years and decided to do my uh, uh, PhD in hospitality and went to Oklahoma State and did that and uh, had a great opportunity to go live in Singapore uh, for two summers uh, teaching at UNLV's campus. They had one. And then I came back and did my finished my dissertation. And then I spent uh, four years at Boston University where we met. And then, I, of course, you know, from that point on, uh, you two years at Temple, six years at uh, Georgetown. And and when it was time, really, uh, uh, this phenomenal opportunity at University of Maryland Eastern Shore, uh, because one, um, it's a, just a, such a legendary program from Dr. Ernie Boger. And then also they are the only, the only uh, program that has a, uh, well, HBCU that actually has a PGA of America golf program. So that falls under hospitality. So for me, kind of coming back full circle, right? Uh, to be able to oversee, you know, two programs and as a chair, um, it was just a great opportunity, which kind of lends me to where I am right now from the academic side. Dope. Uh, so so as listeners can tell, you can tell why that I said this is somebody whose career that I followed from far, from up close, just, you know, always good to see people from the hometown winning always good to see people from um from 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 hospitality operations that transcend into uh higher ed that that have that experience and they can really give real live detailed experience to students and more importantly that aren't scared of industry and, and they still remain in touch with industry so in your current role talk about how important it is for you to be a leader of other educators that are servicing students pri primarily and specifically at an HBCU to maintain that that contact with the industry. And, and what does that look like for you in your current role to maintain that, that contact and relationship with the industry? Absolutely. Uh, I think first of all, really in, you know, in leadership for me, is really examining, you know, why is why is it why did I want to do this? Like why, what was my whole intention? And I think the number of years of working with faculty, I really, really like developing faculty. Um, and that's not always an area that you hear about because really in the chair's role, it's not so much about my discipline. It's about how well you know, you work with people, how well you can inspire others to uh, really, you know, follow the, the vision um, that's set. And, you know, you have to do that with, with buy-in from your faculty. And you have to have to do that with the, uh, with the relationships with the staff. And that's, that's just ultra, that's just crucial. It's just crucial, I think, in leadership. 
Um, I think that then how does that translate into industry is the fact that with that vision, I was very clear in coming into, uh, you know, this time, really knowing that technology um, is just a fundamentally in our space right now, and it needs to be covered much more within our within our courses. Mm. I think that it's um, I think the area of and listening to to industry and what they need sort of around that was really important. Um, I think that our students and especially even at a historically black college should be able to lead uh, and be comfortable with diversity, equity, and inclusion as a as a subject matter. Um, because we are naturally a diverse campus. HBCUs, which is the thing that I'm, I'm always quite surprised about um, when people kind of never go to HBCUs to ask, how do you handle, you know, how are you working with DEI? Well, we've always had to have um, a diverse, we always had diverse faculty as HBCUs. Student yeah. bodies have changed. Um, but I think that that's always been a factor. And so I think that it's important that we step up and really be able to articulate that. And our students should be able to do that too. So um, implementing um, some, inter some faculty-led international study abroad uh, programs uh, has been, that's something that we've gotten off the ground since I've been here, uh, you know, less than a year. Uh, so taking students to Zambia, creating relationships with schools in London and in, and, in, and, in, um, and in Italy, because we need more of our students and specifically our students of color to, uh, to have that global experience. So if they can be exposed to that in technology, um, that, for, that for this program uh, can definitely and regardless of whether they're hospitality and or golf, those two avenues are crucial uh, for our students. So right now, and one thing, part of the reason of how NextGen got founded was, I think we, I'll, I'll speak on behalf of the co-founders that they can beat me up later, but, you know, we kind of got tired of all the buzzwords surrounding DEINA and um, and everybody cared about it for about a cool 15 minutes. Uh, and And as you said, there was uh, it, it's always been prevalent at historically black colleges and universities. And um, and I imagine that other minority serving institutions as well. But that the diversity factor has been there. It's, it's been at the forefront uh, because a, a poor factor has a lot to do with equity and inclusion. So when Absolutely. when you're talking with students, what are what are you hearing from top two students, top two things that you think you're hearing from students in terms of what they're looking for uh, from from an employer and, and or if, if you want to frame it more so as disconnects, uh, you know, in terms of what the industry is expecting and is expecting. And, and you've had a chance to work at institutions, um, you know, uh, graduate level, undergraduate level, so if you could speak a little bit to that and, you know, just what you're seeing and kind of those top two things where maybe students are saying, or even recruiters might be sharing where, where you think that there's some some dislocation and expectations. Sure. Um, I think that, and this is, I think, something that's been exceptionally consistent uh, when it comes to, I think, a, a, with employers and, and kind of the disconnect um, is that, you know, mo employers still want like 40 years of experience out of a 20 year old student. Um, they want to come in and they sort of think <laughs> students will, you know, have the, all the answers and the end all be all. And it's not necessarily the case. There's perspectives. Um, but I think that the expectation of that kind of needs to be, um, I think, um, embraced a little bit, uh, a little bit more. Um, I found that in, in um, I found a, a, a tad bit of a disconnect, I would say, from my perspective, 
um, kind of working in both a PWI, um, predominantly white institutions, and then um, at an HBCU, um, is that if you get a student of color that comes out of a PWI, one you know one one or two a, an academic year, uh, you're doing phenomenal, right? At PWI, oh, these are you know some of the best students. And one or two that come out, you know, of an HBCU, then it's like, oh my gosh, what's the HBCU doing so wrong? So I think that there is definitely a perception that needs to be addressed by industry um, as it relates to how they're even viewing and approaching HBCUs. I think part of that is understanding that all HBCUs are not the same. Our mm -hmm. histories are not the same. Our visions, goals are not the same. It's just that there, it's, it's a designation uh, based off of of, of uh, the um, uh, you know the uh, you know what was put into place by by uh, by President Kennedy, so to protect um, our institutions, they were like you know our institutions you know started in the late 1800s. We were not HBCUs until the 1960s, um, and there's a history and a reason behind that. And so therefore, every school's going to look a little bit different. Um, so I think that's an understanding. I think that has to be addressed on the student side. I, I'm hearing a lot of ownership. Students want to. Students want to own. Students want uh, corporate experiences. Um, the reason I think, and, and it's fair because I think that it's um, many of them work front desk. You know, so one, this is one of the industries where students are already working um, in the industry, so they're looking towards employers to, uh, especially you know, in their internships and opportunities to kind of get them into. Uh, more of uh, understanding, you know, kind of the, the corporate side, not just the uh, operation side. And as I said, you know, if it's not ownership, at least having an ownership mindset. That that's crucial. And and your feedback, I, I don't know if you and just so you all know, I, I didn't give her these questions in advance. Um, that that the feedback that you noted in terms of the perception of HBCU, I mean, that's a whole commercial. It's a um, it, it's quite the it's quite the articulation and, and observation uh, of what's happened as somebody who's had the privilege to teach at HBCUs as well as PWIs as well. And and watch our students go out there um, and grow and go and, and become movers and shakers and meet the alums that are the movers and shakers as well. And, and also have the conversations with my friends who are in the recruit in the recruiter seat. And what does it look like? And this is this is an opportunity for it to potentially be that solution for your equity and inclusion. Uh, should you decide to invest in it the right way, um, and that may not always be capital resources. Um, right. A lot of it has to do with with investing time and energy and and developing and growing your comprehension of, of what that HBCU strategy and uh, an approach looks like, and that it's not a monolith. So, uh, again, kudos to you for articulating that. You touched on something that's very near and dear to my heart, as well as yours, which is the ownership component and and the aspirations uh, to own. And you've been in the classroom for for a while now. How have you seen that shift in terms of students desiring to have more entrepreneurial um, information, education and exposure? Um, and and what are you what have you done in previous roles and what are you doing now currently to help students get that? Yeah. So I remember um, when I when I started teaching at Johnson and Wales specifically, and um, you know, kind of coming in with students who are, I mean, you're talking about students who are exceptionally targeted for for the industry, um, and some of them uh, were culinary as well. And it was uh, I remember very clearly a conversation having with an employer, and he says, you know, students are coming, you know, out they want to start, you know, in New York making fifty thousand dollars a year, and I was just like, well. 
I mean, if you consider that probably their schooling was somewhere around 50,000 a year, so they're coming out of school with a layer, um, not just of, of debt, but also cost of living, uh, the, the, uh, you know, just uh, how much things actually are. It's not really that, um, that it's, it's not a stretch. And I think that that there's that kind of disconnect that, oh, you know, students want to, they want to come out and they want to just run the place and make a lot of money and all those things. But I think that what is happening is that it's making, the difference is that it's now making uh, students really think about how they own their time. So ownership comes up because if I'm going, in their perspective, yeah. wow. I'm going to be doing all of this. You know, then I might as well do it with a concept where, um, I, you know, I've worked, I've seen how 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 things are managed and, and, and run, and I want to kind of go and address the problem. Everybody kind of wants to address the problem, even though they don't say it. So um, I think that that's where ownership, this kind of mindset is coming from. So they want to control their their time. They want to control what it is that they do. They their their values um, are much more on. If I'm not going to do this, then I'm going to go and do and go in to make money. So you have a lot of. I mean, the finance majors, the majors in finance have have just completely, uh, you know, increased and gone out out, out the roof. Now where they choose to work, that's varied. But just the concept of, of money and understanding it and things such as that in finance is just it's, it's overhauling. So, you know, I, I see that kind of as that as that difference as well. Agreed. Uh, very, very similar aspirations and, and um, that I had as a student. Right. And it was just difficult to get pointed in that right direction and and find some content and, and some characters that could help you along the way for your entrepreneurial journey because a lot of it comes down to you know do you have the cash do you have the equity and or do you have the relationships for the equity and you know if you're part of a certain demographic that may be a a, a little bit uh, a, a little bit of a farther reach for you but uh yourself and and I imagined how you spoke so passionately about entrepreneurship and and the students um with your own entrepreneurship aspirations and you know one thing that that is super awesome is, you know, you being co-founder of DMV Black Restaurant Week. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us about what DMV Black Restaurant Week is? And and for those of y'all know, you think it's just a restaurant week, like you go and get some some discount prefix. Um, one thing that I will say, and I don't want to steal your thunder here, is that, that, that I found impressive that there was content around it uh for folks that were seriously considering being either a restaurateur or just if you're a foodie and you, and you want to get a deeper understanding and 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 more up close and personal with maybe some of these up and coming chefs or conversations that are surrounding some of the the things in the culinary space um and and broader gastronomy topics what led you and and your and your co-founders to say this is a need that needed to be fulfilled and and what is that and what is it what does dmv black restaurant look like today sure thank you for that um well i will start off saying that um i'm i i consider myself a what's called a reluctant entrepreneur so this is my second go round in the world of, of actually uh, kind of owning a business. My first go round was actually um, I was called upon when I was back in Charlotte uh, to buy to uh, to do uh, hospitality training for event staff. At the time, it was called it was the Charlotte Bobcats. Now, yeah, Bobcats. Now they're back to Hornets now. Um, but there was a point in time, all right? They were Bobcats, and so. <laughs> 
I was asked to come to do uh, training and development. And so um, I was brought up, the vice president of, of, of guest services at the time actually came from uh, Miami Heat. And then before that, she came from Marriott. And so she understood the importance of training and development uh, for, for the staff. And so I came in and did that. And then someone said, then someone was at a minor league baseball team. It was the general manager came to an event and said, oh my goodness, you know, I love the engagement that the, you know, ticket takers and the, uh, you know, ushers and everybody, you know, has. And they said, oh, we have a, you know, a trainer. And so it kind of hunted me down. And um, I ended up actually starting my first company doing uh, training um, and development for for uh, staff at stadiums and arenas, right? So I had two. Um, and well, the one of the Bobcats was something they, you know, they, they kind of, uh, you know, hired me for. But the one at the at the Bobcats, excuse me, the one at the Charlotte uh, Knights, that was one in which I controlled. I controlled everything. I didn't even, and so, and so, wow. Staff, yeah. And so the reason why I said reluctant is that I didn't even know, like someone asked me to have a business plan. I didn't have a business plan. So when my life shifted, I decided I wanted to go and, you know, get my PhD. I passed, I gave, basically gave the business over to one of the um, persons that I was working with and it all fell apart. Um, so that lack of not having a structure, that lack of not asking and, you know, asking others and being kind of like mentored almost as a, as like, I could have continued running it maybe with a small profit, you know, as part of it, even though I went and got my doctorate, it's like so many things I could have done, but I didn't know uh, these things because I wasn't thinking about myself in that space. Uh, so when I finished, when I actually finished my doctorate, I decided that I wanted to start a company called Loop Now. Um, LLC, which would house kind of all of the work that I did outside of my like outside of my salary. So you know, you get called on a lot to be a subject matter expert or do curriculum development and things such as that. So owning a business at LLC for me uh, to focus on that and maybe got get back into training and development was is something that I've had um, since 2011 since I finished my uh, my doctorate. And so I had a business like already, but I did not have one to get a model. Why that's important is, is that looping back around to DMV Black Restaurant Week, when I um, got to DC in 2017, I wanted to really explore more of the restaurant scene and bringing that into the curriculum. So through church, I met my, who would later be my business partner, Farrar Tate, and he kind of taught me a little bit about the scene. He was a former owner himself. I met Andra A.J. Johnson. She was working in the industry, but she, her expertise was in like the, uh, the bartending, cocktails, beverage, spirit side. But um, and so, but what the three of us all had in common is that we knew that uh, that there were not enough African Americans that were in the space of management, let alone ownership. Everybody wants you know one of the owners, but there's a large amount of us that really uh, need the skills to be skilled up in workforce. And so we came together to do workforce development. And then what happened was uh, as we started working on it in 20, 2018, there was an incident that happened at a Starbucks in Philly where two African American men, the the manager called the police on them. And why that really affected me was because I lived down the street from that Starbucks when I was at Temple. And so I was very aware of it. And that was also a time, if you remember, spring of 2018, there was a lot of memes going around, Barbecue Betty, Coupon Charlie, yeah. just a like, treatment of African-Americans in public spaces. And a lot of them were also in restaurants and, and hotels. And so when I looked around and I saw that there were these other Black restaurant weeks, I said, do we have one here? And they were like, no. And he said, well, we said, well, let's go ahead and do one. And so we chose to do it with already coming out the gate with a different model because we saw that the other Black restaurant weeks were really following the exact same model that most restaurant weeks follow. But the reality is that in no understanding the nuances, first of all, we all are in the industry. So we know a week does not help our businesses. 
but professional education serving as a conduit between owners and government resources and knowledge and all those things that I, you know, didn't even think about asking um, is what helps businesses uh, uh, sustain themselves. So we decided to focus on our mission and our mission was to help support and sustain black owned businesses in the food and hospitality space uh, by providing professional development as well as serving as a, uh, as a conduit to build an ecosystem. And so that's what drives us. And so while the week is something that um, kind of changes in the sense of what we offer every year, uh, the other 51 weeks of the year serving as that, as that conduit between these business owners and resources is what we do it. You know, we don't always get, we don't get the, the you know, the, you know, the, the, the fanfare for um, but that's what that's what we do, and that's how we maintain our credibility. So that kind of has taken us, you know, um, into a space we weren't even thinking of, and um, and that has also, I think that 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 credibility, that understanding of the industry, that empathy of the owner, that understanding the struggles of 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 government and and, and businesses, you know, has, I think it shows in itself. So all three of us are doing things in very, you know, different spaces. I've been, um, I was you know, asked to, to to join the James Beard Foundation's uh, awards committee, uh, just, you know, because of just kind of that understanding, wow. yeah, of that. And honestly, you know, it has, it has led to, um, you know, just, just understanding things like, you know, when I'm talking to a student about why it's important to do cost accounting and why you, I said cost accounting is fundamentally, you will use that every single day of your life. And the day that you're not using it is the day that you're, you're going to, your business isn't going to, is going to fail or your household isn't going to be held up because you need it all. How much something costs is fundamentally, uh, uh, you know, uh, important. And it's also led me to be an investor myself um, in a in a in a multi-unit um, uh, restaurant. I'll just say it like that. And so um, the mind of an investor is very different. Uh, mine is a very different than even being an owner. You know, it's a very very different mindset. And so I've learned a lot about myself on that on that end. And for some people, it might not necessarily be ownership for them. It might actually also be an investment. That's a really long answer. <laughs> No, that that that's perfect, and and like we 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 talked about offline, it's it, it all wraps together, right? Because at the core of what you all wanted to highlight and make different about DMV Black Restaurant Week was going to be the education information and and how do we make these businesses sustainable? Like you said, that that one week, that's great. You came out and got some discount spinach dip. You you went to Ben's Chili Bowl. It was it was cool. We got some great pictures, but what what happens the next week? Uh, and we know restaurants. I mean, it's it it has an unfair, um, it has an unfair kind of stigma of it being a risky business because wow. of you know people going in and out of business. It's funny when I'm when I'm doing my pitch to uh, aspiring Black Latino Latinx uh, owners. I, that's what I always say. I'm like, it's not like it's the restaurant business. You rarely you don't see that many closed hotels. And then COVID hit. Right. Um, <laughs> so, but but no, it, it that was that was a good answer because again, it, it wraps it all together. So that's incredibly important uh, as an educator. Like I said, kind of one of the first questions: How are you staying connected to industries? I mean, you're still in industry, yeah. and 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 that's and that's and that makes a difference. That comes through in the classroom. That comes through in and the students. You know, access to industry professionals. Uh, because like you said, a lot of times uh, this is, like you say, you, you know, a big part of what you've been doing is, is about the relationships. 
So I know you all have a golf program um, at University of Maryland Eastern Shores. Where, how do you see that program growing? Do you see that something that is is going to be picking up steam across other campuses? I mean, and by by other campuses, I mean other HBCUs. Uh, Any, if you had to make any just kind of broad predictions on on where you see golf going. So, um, I mean, golf is just, is, is, it's more than even just a sport. It's, it's a complete lifestyle. And one of the things that I really, that we are, you know, emphasizing here and that we're also creating kind of what's called an off-ramp program, an off-ramp degree, which means that some students who don't want to necessarily want to be a golf pro, not go pro, but like a golf professional, somebody that actually works at, at, at the private clubs or, or, or municipal clubs but um, actually wants to work in industries, we also are doing, we're, we're um, introducing a bachelor's um, in hospitality um, and tourism management with, this, uh, with the concentration in golf management. Because when I worked in golf, like I said, I worked in golf and I worked for um, an agency of General Motors. We've got alumni that are working at Callaway. We've got them working at City Swing in, in DC. So there's so many other jobs in this industry, very similar to kind of just, you know, hospitality where there's so many uh, uh, jobs and careers that you don't even see, you have no idea. And um, and we have that, I mean, we own that, we have that space. It's just the fact of not being, um, our students not necessarily having that um, exposure to it. Um, I think this, where I think the pro, where golf is going is, is one of those, it's, it's something that is, interestingly enough, um, actually grew during pandemic. Um, the, uh, what I'm seeing right now, especially in the African-American space is more African-Americans want to actually go professional, um, and, uh, which is a very different than going professional in, in, in basketball or in football or even in tennis. I mean, in some aspects, some aspects is the same, but, but the reality is that you have to become a brand immediately. You have to have sponsorship immediately. So it's kind of that understanding, but for the most part, many of our students want to work I'm in that. And so, you know, me being here showing them one that you can do so many things with with uh, with with your degree, both hospitality um, and golf. Uh, and it's also a safe time in which, you know, the 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 PGA is uh, of America is going through, you know, its avenue and then PGA Tour is going through its thing uh, with uh, with live other stuff. Right. The Saudis. Um, so and the players going there. Um, I will say that PG of America is not, um, they're not going to really expand into a whole lot of schools. There's uh, 15 schools where we're, we're, uh, that's part of it because it's a lot, uh, the, the licensing of that, it requires a lot. We have a phenomenal director retired here, Dr. Clinton Sparks, who is the class A golf pro who came on board in December and he is knocking it out. And when, you know, it's, it's funny when I asked him what his plans are, um, he also incorporated um, technology, you know, the use of AI and golf. Um, you know, I, I charged every student when I met them, I said, um, you know, if you wanna, you know, you can be a golf pro, you know, it, 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 out in the metaverse, you know, why are you not make sure you have your UMBS shirt when you are in the metaverse? You know, I just, you know, I, I push them to think uh, bigger um, and deeper. And so with that, um, and now having a phenomenal director, uh, we see nothing but even more opportunity on that avenue. I love it. I love it. Um, and you know, golf is one of those things that, you know, it's a business. It's, it's, it's still a business sport, right? I mean, it's still, I, I was fortunate to take it during my undergrad at FAMU because we had to take a business sport. And it is even in academia. I mean, just, just the fact that I can just hold my own in it. 
uh, it doesn't intimidate me as badly. It doesn't mean I necessarily, you know, play the best, but uh, <laughs> if I, you know, I always say, if, if nobody actually asks you if you're good, if this is one of those sports where it's like people just ask, do you play? I'm like, of course I play. Um, yeah, but yeah. Uh, you know, if you're that good, then you'd be doing something else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, you know, with that, but, um, but, but it, but it opened up, I mean, just, uh, I, I mean, I use it even in academia, I use it when working with industry because, um, it's still very much a viable, um, kind of equalizer, uh, in the business world. I love it. I love it. And, and, and agreed. I mean, it's, it, it's great to see the, the growth there and it was great to see how COVID really rescued um golf because i mean the the numbers before and i've looked at a few golf courses for some repurposing mm -hmm. and um and, and it just it, it just covid really did numbers it, it did it did a great deal of positivity oh for, yeah for golf i mean it just <laughs> made sense you could be socially yeah. distant insane i mean top golf uh golf and it's i mean i think they did over a billion dollars and so because that was the that was the business designed naturally for social distancing which nobody thought about it that way, but that's kind of what it is. And then, you know, in the, in the world of African, the one thing I will say, I just came from the PGA uh, show that the number of African-Americans with apparel lines. So I will say that while the, the, the golfer um, has kind of slowed down since the tiger days, they are, they do exist, but they've slowed down uh, the, uh, the apparel side, East side golf, black balls, I mean, it's so it's so many African Americans in the space of, of the apparel part. Yeah. Uh, so we're looking to kind of we got Dr. Sparks and I have some ideas about what we would like to uh, kind of do with this, do with this data. Uh, but it's I'm excited, crazy. Yeah, it's 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 a whole that's a whole separate renaissance. So. I love it. I love it. S send me a polo when y'all get in the. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what if in closing here, what what would be some some again, just just such a rich history of, of navigating through through the the industry? What have you learned? What what would be some some parting words of wind wisdom that you would share with another young woman who's navigating through this industry? And obviously what, what's happened as, as part of the diversity, equity, and inclusion movement has gained a little bit of steam uh, for, again, for about 20 minutes, we started realizing that there was gender inequalities. Um, it, with what, what would be some parting words that you would leave with, with up, women up and coming in this industry? Yeah, um, I always say, well, one of my Tucker's tips is, um, is a passion plus performance equals a profession passion minus performance equals a hobby. So if you want to actually, if you want mm -hmm. to pay you for what you, you know, for what you, for what you're passionate about, then you have to produce results. So um, I always say that that's just kind of that key, you know, when people talk about passion and whether it should be your job or whether it should be whatever, that's kind of where I like to, like always like to leave, uh, you know, people are sort of thinking about that. Um, I do fundamentally believe that one must be knowledgeable of everything when they go into whatever whatever the their particular sector is. So, uh, you know, always continuously, always, um, you know, just just breathe in and and just absorb content and new experiences. Uh, don't let you being the only one in the room, especially if you're a woman or you're a woman of color, uh, use that positioning for your for your advantage. 
um, especially because if you're already in the room, right? And we talk about access because I think access is very important. I think it's the most important. But if you actually have the ability to actually have the access and be in the room, what are you going to do now with it? And so um, having that bravery to be able to articulate our value, uh, the value as African-Americans, the value as women, um, culture, Black culture, you ha I have to be able to articulate that. Um, and, and not just quantify it, but, you know, really be able for a person to understand that when I'm, when I'm even talking about, especially black owned businesses. So I say the same thing to, 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 to young women and, and young people know your, know what the value is. You're in that room now. Now, what are you going to do? Um, and I think then, I guess kind of lastly, I always just say that, um, if you're, if you can actually see, you know, your, your dream, it's a little too low. Um, I think that, um, your dream should not necessarily be to um, to make money off of YouTube. What you should do is just think about how can you use YouTube to make money off of something you're genuine about. Because if you allow the the image to dry, it's going you're going to crash and fail, or you're not going to make money. The ones who know how to really make money, because a lot of you know, I mean, I'm, I'm very realistic, right? I mean, I know a lot of students want to. That's what they they want to do. That they want to be. Um, in that space um, of, of, of influencers and things like that. But know what you want to influence. Know, do you want to be credible? Uh, do you want to uh, find truth so you can just, you know, dispense it? Is it, you know, we have so many products, which is the ones that actually work better on, uh, on our, in our life based off of what we have. That's what you should kind of focus on and then use the social media platforms to be able to carve out uh, that value, which then, of course, if you show performance, right, uh, then that's your profession and people will pay you for it. I love it. I love it. That's solid. Uh, Tucker tips from Dr. Aaron Tucker, Aluale, friend, scholar, sore inspiration, and just all around great human being, entrepreneur. I really appreciate you sharing the, the wisdom the insights and and of course the free game and just some I think it's some really good nuggets and some takeaways here for industry professionals, uh, young, those who are responsible for recruiting and retaining talent, um, and those who are aspiring to enter the industry. So again, appreciate your time and thank you so much for joining us here on Next Gen and Logic. Thank you. Want more of the latest news and insights from across the global hotel industry? Head to hotelnewsnow.com for up-to-the-minute breaking news and subscribe to the new Hotel News Now podcast to hear directly from industry leaders. Available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you find podcasts. This episode of the Next Gen and Lodging podcast on the Hotel News Now podcast network was recorded on February 13th by Amari Head. It was edited by H&N Managing Editor Robert McCune. Subscribe to this podcast and more from H&N on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. Thanks for listening.